You are listening to the Nightline Sports Network, brought to you by Travis Dever and the Dever team, 386-690-1636. Welcome to the AAC Report, only on the Nightline Sports Network. I'm Jeff Allen. Thanks for listening. Coming up, we'll hear from our Nightline basketball analyst, Ben Stout, and also Michael O'Donnell of ESPN and CBS Sports as we talk about the AAC Men's Basketball Tournament, which Houston won as they exploded to a 91-54 win over the five-seed Cincinnati. That logged down the Americans' automatic bid into the NCAA tournament, where they are two-seed in the Midwest bracket, and will take on the 15-seed Cleveland State in the first round. Wichita State is also going to the big dance, as the Shockers parlayed their regular season title to get those dancing shoes on. As an 11-seed, they will take on Drake in a first-four matchup on Thursday night in the West bracket. Meanwhile, Memphis and SMU are headed to the NIT. The Tigers are the top seed in their portion of the bracket. SMU a three seed in that bracket. They could meet each other in the quarterfinals if the Tigers beat Dayton and the Mustangs beat Boise State. Well, right before the tournament, they gave out the uh, American Athletic Conference Men's Basketball Honors. The Player of the Year uh, co-winners, Quentin Grimes, the sharpshooter from Houston, Also, he uh, was a third-team All-American. Tyson Etienne of Wichita State, the other co-player of the year. Coach of the year, Isaac Brown of Wichita State. No surprise there. Defense player of the the year is Dejan Giroux of Houston. The freshman of the year, Musa Cisse of Memphis. Most improved player, Justin Gorham of Houston. Sixth man of the year, Boogie Ellis of Memphis. And uh, Darian Jackson of Tulsa, a co-winner of that. The sportsmanship of the award goes to J.P. Mormon uh, from Temple. All-conference first team, Jaden Gardner of East Carolina, joined by Grimes from Houston, Landers Nolly of Memphis, Kendrick Davis of SMU, and Etienne of Wichita State. The second team, Keith Williams of Cincinnati, Houston teammates, Dejan Giroux and Justin Gorham, and Marcus Sasser and Brenda Rochelle of Tulsa. Third team, Brandon Mayhem of UCF, along with his teammate Darius Perry. Farron Hunt of SMU, Khalif Battle of Temple, Jalen Forbes of Tulane, and Altariq Gilbert of Wichita State. The all-freshman team, Isaiah Adams of UCF, Tari Eason of Cincinnati, Musa Cisse of Cincinnati, Caleb Murphy of South Florida, Damian Dunn of Temple, and Ricky Council IV from Wichita State. Prior to the men's title game on Sunday, AAC Commissioner Mike Oresco discussed how things went this season for both men's and women's basketball, and here are his opening remarks from his press conference. I just wanted to say that, you know, what a difference a year makes. You know, obviously we had to cancel the tournament. You may recall we were the first conference that, that did cancel, and, and we didn't know what others would do, but we felt we were making the right decision, but it was certainly a tense time. Um, you know, this year, of course, we're not over the pandemic, obviously, and it's been, you know, we have to keep things in perspective. It's obviously been a national tragedy. We're we're happy that we've been able to play, uh, that our student-athletes have had an opportunity to play. We brought 21 teams here, and it looks like we're going to finish with all 21 teams being able to play and to uh, compete and to have champions in both uh, both women's and men's. Uh, we, we absolutely love this arena. We think, uh, you know, Dickey's Arena is one of the best in the country. It's a great venue for both of our men's and women's teams. I want to thank Matt Holman, the general manager. He's been absolutely terrific, and we've had to uh, – you know, work out a testing protocol. We've done over 2,000 tests and we haven't had a positive test, which is really a remarkable tribute to our student athletes and our coaches and our administrators. 
Uh, and, and I want to thank uh, you know, Brian Thornton, who runs our, our basketball men's and women's and, and Scott Draper. Uh, Scott arranged our testing and Scott did that for football, too. And he's done just a, a remarkable job. I want to thank Bobby Wagand and, and Patrick Colbert and their team. I, 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 if I try to mention everyone, I'll forget somebody. But, you know, they they uh, also handle our Olympic sports and they've done, you know, a really terrific job with the venue here. And Dr. Greg Stewart at Tulane has been here almost the entire week, uh, you know, kind of supervising all the testing. And uh, he is the head of our medical advisory group. And they have done, again, a, a lot of accolades all around because they've done a great job in football and basketball. And even when we didn't play, it was because of an abundance of caution because they were very careful. Um, and, uh, he, he's, he, you know, being here all week was really, uh, you know, a lot of his time has been devoted to this and I want to thank him for the great job he's done. Uh, also our athletic directors, our players and our coaches deserve all the credit because again, they had to not only, you know, stay free of the virus, which of course is, is sometimes just a, a luck of the draw, you know, uh, it can happen. It's a very transmissible disease. We all know it on a sound trite. Uh, and we know it can happen at any point, but I know they took tremendous precautions. I know our staff set up the hotel situation here and all the different, you know, things that we did around the arena. So knock on wood, you know, we, we hope that we can get through the game and then, and then obviously get through the week for the teams, the teams that will go to, uh, to Indianapolis. And we're obviously hoping to have uh you know, uh, more than one team uh, qualify. We don't know yet what's going to happen, uh, but I, I can I can open it for uh, for questions. We are coming back to Dickies. We have a, a multi-year deal. We're coming back next year, uh, and we're really excited because next year we hope the pandemic's behind us and we can have fans. And I think if we do, I think we'll have good crowds because you know five five of our schools are within pretty easy driving distance, and a few others are not far away. So. Uh, with the kind of basketball we now have in this conference, I think he's going to improve year to year with the great coaches and programs we have. I think Dickies is going to be a great venue for the next few years. In the women's tournament, South Florida wins it by downing UCF 64-54. to The Bulls claim the number eight seed in the Mercado region and will face number nine seed Washington State. Uh, in Austin, conference runner-up UCF also heard its name called as the number 10 seed in the Alamo region. And they will open the NCAA tournament against a number seven seed Northwestern. The Houston Cougars, who'd hoped to land an NCAA berth, are headed to the women's NIT along with Tulane. Houston expected to face San Francisco in the first round action in the Fort Worth region. And Tulane and Illinois State set to collide in the Memphis region. Coming up next, Ben Stout. Back once again this week, our Nightline Sports Network basketball analyst will recap the AAC tournament and the season with Ben right after this. Hey, this is Travis Dever, Kai's Real Estate, the Dever team, New Smyrna Beach, your source for real estate and everything else, New Smyrna Beach. Proud sponsor of Nightline. Call me anytime at 386 690 1636. That's 386 690 1636. Let me show you my hometown, New Smyrna Beach, UCF's favorite beach. Go Knights and charge on. 
An auto accident can change your life forever. At Chad Bar Law, we are raising the bar on what to expect from your personal injury attorney. Hi, I'm Chad Barr, and I want you to know that our entire team is dedicated to providing you with the representation you deserve in your greatest time of need. If you or a loved one have been injured in an auto accident, call 407-599-9036 for a free consultation or visit chadbarlaw.com. At Chad Bar Law, our clients come to us in need and leave us family. Offices, Altamont Springs. Looking for more out of your Porsche? Look no further than Flat6Motorsports.com. They have the widest selection of aftermarket Porsche parts anywhere in the world. With over 85 product lines and in-depth expertise, Flat6Motorsports.com is your one-stop shop for any Porsche performance needs. Whether you're shopping for intakes, exhaust, suspension, or tuning, they have you covered. Flat6Motorsports.com is the premier Porsche aftermarket specialist. Check them out at Flat6Motorsports.com. All right, we look back once again to the Nightline Sports Network's AAC report. Our basketball analyst, he is Big Ben Stout. Ben, thanks for being back on again this week. Yeah, thanks uh, Thanks for having me. Uh, it's good to talk to you before the, the conference tournament and, and afterwards uh, leading into the, the big dance. So I'm um, uh, happy to be on with you again. Yes, and uh, Houston – Finally, you know, it, it, it's hard to believe they hadn't won a conference tournament as good as they've been, but they finally uh, get that monkey off their back and a blowout fashion win in the championship game over Cincinnati and that probably would qualify as among the best they've played all year and uh, certainly a good note to go into the, into the big dance on. Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, I kind of said it before the tournament and you and, you and I both talked about it, how you know, if it were to get there, if, if UCF wasn't able to pull off the upset against uh, Memphis, um, and unfortunately for, for us, they didn't. As, as UCF fans, um, they, they weren't able to pull that off. But if they were to get, we probably, we, we both, both of us said that would probably be the game of the tournament, and it turned out to be true. Um, another two-point game um, between Houston and Memphis in the semifinal round. But besides that, um, the the two lane game before that, uh, where Houston played Tulane and just kind of wiped the floor with them, and then that, <laughs> and then Cincinnati was able to make a little bit of a run there and uh, make the conference uh, tournament championship game, uh, which they actually have made it quite often over the yes. last five years or, or six years or so. Uh, so that's a testament to them, you know, making that game, but. Uh, Man, Houston certainly, uh, they got that opportunity to be the conference tournament champions uh, after missing out on that, on the regular season championship, that being taken away from them um, from a loss earlier in the year with Wichita State. And, and hey, I, I mean, they, they really prove that they're the cream of the, of the conference. And um, I'm hoping as a UCF fan that we can eventually catch up. But uh, this year, for sure. Uh, and over the last couple of years, they've uh, really shown that they're the strength of the American Conference, and they showed it on that day, winning 91-54. It was just a it was just a kind of annihilation of um, of Cincinnati, and they're a team, Houston and Houston, just going into the into the uh, big dance as a as a real threat um, to the rest of the country. So it, it's exciting to see that coming out of the American. 
Yeah, no question about it. And as you mentioned, uh, that uh, matchup against Memphis, and boy, I think I would pay to watch these guys play every week because those teams just match up so well against each other. Um, it's I find it very interesting that, you know, Memphis, you know, two losses to Houston in the span of a week, they probably had to win the tournament. But, boy, you you, you got to give them credit for the for, for, for what they accomplished during this season, for sure. Yeah, um, it, it is. It is too, that, that was definitely a game that we talked about before the tournament. I, I, I think that Memphis needed to go ahead and take that win, get a quad one win, you know, late in the year. Um, unfortunately, they weren't able to get that the last game of the season um, in order to kind of punch their ticket to the, the main NCAA tournament. Um, and they they gave them everything they could in the in the last two game two games that they played them the last game of the season and of course the semifinal conference tournament matchup but really at the end of the day I, I mean Houston kind of showed what they are right they're they're poised down the stretch they're a really good defensive team um, and they also have really balanced scoring uh, I mean they had they had four players in double figures that game led by um, Quentin Grimes, who wound up, I believe, wound up winning the uh, most outstanding player of the conference tournament, and um, and he had 21 in that game. But then, then Memphis, contrasting to that, only had two players in double figures throughout the game. I have three players, excuse me, but um, DJ Jeffries only had 10, and then you had Boogie Ellis kind of running the show there with tw- with 27, and so just a little bit more balanced scoring a little bit more team effort from Houston. And that's what really what you get. You, know, you get a lot of offensive rebounds. You get a lot of attacking on offense and, and balance scoring from Houston. They've always been that kind of positionless basketball team. Um, and, uh, and it just showed a, a, with a little bit of more poise down the stretch. But another close game, 74-76. It's just these guys, these guys really battle it out this year. And uh, it would have been great to see if – they wound up in the maybe the same bracket if they would have made the NCAA tournament, you know, see if we could get that matchup one more time this season. Cause you never know, you know, as much as those, those battles have been awesome this year, uh, you never know next year, it could just be totally different, you know? So. Yeah. And, you know, and Memphis had to work to get to that Houston game. Uh, we will go Homer for a few minutes. So, uh, 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 what I found interesting in that game, especially because, you know, UCF was beaten rather easily by Memphis in those uh, two games that they had to play up there. Uh, and, you know, they got down in this game. And the fact that they showed the fight they showed to get back and actually take the lead late in that game, um, you know, really was a good testament to, you know, that, that the team has some fight and they got some gumption to them. Yeah, I really like seeing the fight. Um I was I was watching obviously I watched the entire game and I, I was texting back and forth with some buddies and the you know with seeing seeing Memphis go up by fifteen plus at least at least twice in the in the first ten minutes of the game right like we're thinking, just, here we go again right <laughs> here we go again exactly it reminded me a lot of that I mean the first ten minutes of the game reminded me a lot of the the first half of the. Um, first game that of the back-to-back games that UCF had to play at Memphis this year 
And so it was just really, I just, oh my goodness, here we go again. Like, you know, how bad could this get? Like this would be a, this would be a horrible way to end this season that has been very up and down for Johnny Dawkins and UCF. Um, you know, uh, showed, you know, flashes of brilliance and then, and then, you know, uh, really some tough times as well. And so I, I just, I, I'm sitting there watching that first half and I'm just like, it can't end like this. I, 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 regardless if it ends in a loss, like it can't end like this. And then all of a sudden, you know, Isaiah Adams starts to get going a little bit in the first half and uh, they, they start to get some stops and, and, and have a little bit more efficiency. And, you know, in that press, um, you know, they're able to break the press a little bit, start to remain poised. And then I believe, if I'm not mistaken, I think, yeah, it cut it to four at, at halftime. I mean, it, it felt like a miracle that uh, I think at one point with about a minute left, we were, we were uh, UCF was down by two. And, you know, so like it's right there, right? It felt like a miracle that we were even within striking distance at halftime. And then you start to say, all right, so if we can start the second half a little bit better, like, you know, who knows what happens. And they wound up taking the lead with about five and a half minutes left and, um, and, and unfortunately for us, that was just, um, it just wasn't enough at the end of the day. Um, and, um, and, and that, that kind of the amount that had to be overcome in that first half lead and that kind of breakdown in the, in the first 10 minutes of the game, uh, just wound up gassing out the team at the end and, and give credit to Memphis. They scored, or I should say they showed um, just how well they can play defense as a team. And that hurt us a lot when we had to go back-to-back games at Memphis, um, especially in that first game. We seemed to kind of figure some things out in the second half of the second game, as I mentioned last week. But um, just really a, a lot of credit to them is just how well they kind of smother you with that press on defense. And I haven't watched a ton of Memphis this year. Um, I don't know how well they're, how effective that is against other teams, but certainly against UCF, it was, it was very effective. And um, uh, I, I can, I can be satisfied with the amount of fight that UCF showed in that game and be happy with the way um, they displayed that effort um, to never give up. But, uh, and the future is certainly bright with, a lot of our key contributors being freshmen and sophomores this year. Um, uh, we're losing a couple of key seniors in Brandon Mahan and, um, and Darius Perry, who's a grad transfer this year. And you never know Don, Johnny Dawkins is going to get in next year. As far as transfers go, we've got a really stellar point guard coming in next season. Um, but um, you know, uh, the future's bright, but it, it would have been great to come back and, and seal the deal and get that another shot at Houston. Who who knows what would have happened? I mean, it, it may have been a, a tough matchup, but oh, it would have been a tough matchup, no doubt. But uh, but yeah, I was I was hoping we could get back our old get 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 past our nemesis there in Memphis. So tell me, you know, and, and, and maybe if somebody figures this out, they'll be wealthy. But you know, momentum in basketball, so interesting because you you look at how UCF had to fight and claw and they scratch back and they actually end up taking a lead but then the momentum switches right back you know it's it's it's, you as a player you know do do you have senses of of those momentum swings and and yeah kind of kind of give me a little thought on that yeah it was it was fascinating to see 
in the beginning of the game, just see UCF, like their body language, right? Like, you know, just kind of seemed desperate, right? Like just seemed kind of like, oh man, here we go again. Here we go again. They're, they're shutting us down on this press. And then all of a sudden, you know, you see the ball go in the hoop a couple of times, which quite frankly, the amount of missed layups that UCF had was nuts in that game. Um, but it is a basketball is a, is a game of runs. And as a player, you definitely feel that. Um, and, and, and like I said, that sometimes that lead that is built up in the beginning of the game really matters. Um, and as much as players don't like to talk about this and especially coaches don't like to talk about it is you get this kind of sinking feeling sometimes where um, you get uh, like as much as you, you, you don't want to admit it to yourself, even that whole here we go again thing happens. And I think that when it came down to it, um, that start of the game affected the rest of the game, regardless of how much they fought back. Mm-hmm. And as you said, we were able to take the lead, but it almost felt like we weren't. We were able to take the lead, but it almost felt like we were still the game was obviously still in the balance, but you could, you could see that like players like Darius Perry and, and Isaiah Adams, especially being a freshman and, you know, kind of in that big moment, it still felt like we were behind the eight ball, right? Like it still felt like if, if Memphis made a couple shots, we're like, Oh man, like we tried, but it didn't quite make it there. And, and that's not a, that's not a knock of any on any of the UCF players. It's just human nature to f- really kind of feel like, man, we just can't, quite get over the hope get over the hump against these guys and um that game of runs really feels it i mean certainly when you see darius perry hit like three straight threes to to you know all that momentum he feels like he can throw a penny in the ocean at that point but then he misses the fourth one right so then you're like uh so yeah you as a player you definitely feel that game of runs um and sometimes the early lead can kind of creep back into you yeah. Well, you know, you mentioned uh, you never know who uh, Johnny Dawkins is getting in the uh, transfer portal. Uh, I wonder if Elijah Joyner would like to come here since he's uh, in, the, in the transfer portal for Tulsa. He's probably looking for a P5 school, but uh, just the same. Uh, well, that'd be interesting. Yeah, I don't I like the the whole free agency of the transfer portal is kind of crazy this season. I haven't read up as much about it, but I know that in the years past, like certain the current school you're at can kind of control a little bit of how you go and who knows if players like that go within conference but yeah uh, who knows yeah and speaking of the transfer portal and you you uh, tweeted this last night you know, that, you know uh, it was a retweet off of Cincinnati's got what like five six guys in the transfer portal um that uh, you know Wichita State you mentioned that was a similarity and it's like hmm is there a little smoke to a fire that's burning behind the wall there. That's, that's a very interesting aspect to have that many guys in the transfer portal. Yeah. Um, it felt like the witch, cause we talked about this, like literally this time last year when the Wichita state news broke of like every, you know, it seemed like everybody was transferring away from them. And, uh, this this instance, while it feels so similar to Wichita state, it's just, it's, it's kind of strange in my opinion. Um, I thought Cincinnati battled with COVID a lot this year and had their ups and downs, but it never really felt like that would be the same situation, right? Like I, I I don't know how much of 
you know, obviously not being, being around the program at all. It just, it just it seemed like a little bit different situation. Like it didn't, didn't seem like it was building up over the course of years, like it was with Greg Marshall at, at uh, Wichita state, you know, um, it's just confusing, but potentially it could be a result of just the, the first year of, um, kind of this free agency that we're experiencing, right? Like I remember, I remember two, three years ago, Johnny Dawkins talked about how like the year prior to that, when he was talking about it, the year prior that there was like something like 300 eligible players in the transfer portal. And then within like two seasons, it jumped to like 900. And now when you're, when you're in a situation where you don't have to sit out for a season um, who knows what this off season comes to pass, right? So, so seeing Cincinnati dropping five players into the transfer portal right away when they when they end that kind of magical run in the conference tournament, um, it may have a little bit less to do with the program itself and the coaching staff itself, and um, and more so to do with the situation that we're in now in 2021, where this kind of transfer rules have been adjusted. Um, I don't know that to be true. I don't, I don't know either way, obviously. Um, but it is kind of interesting to see that many players and some of them really big key contributors this season to, to Cincinnati, um, entering the transfer portal so quickly. Um, and, uh, we'll have to see because it, it seemed like from the outside looking in that, um, the coach did an excellent job with Brain's them. a good coach. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he seems like, uh, you know, again, from the outside looking in, he seems like a really good coach that runs the program very well. Um, the players are always pretty disciplined and, um, and play great defense and, and, um, they had some star players this season. It just, uh, it was just kind of odd to see last night when all that news broke. Yeah, so it's either something or it's nothing. Well, I guess we'll, <laughs> time, time, will, time will tell on that. Um, but it is interesting, the, the, the transfer portal, I don't know, we kind of got off into a side conversation here, but, but it is interesting. I mean, you know, the coaches are allowed to pretty much change jobs whenever they want to, and it's often to say, well, the player should have the same rights. So maybe this is an interesting, you know, opportunity to experiment how this would actually work. So I guess we'll get some uh, live live testing and live data to see you yeah. know, if immediate transfer is, is, is a good thing or a bad thing. Yeah. I, I, I like how they said, you know, to the student athletes, like you're going to get one, right. We're not going to, it's not, you're not going to move schools every single season and expect to just be able to play, you know, immediately eligible. Uh, so far, I like the rule. Uh, I mean, uh, as a fan of a certain, you know, team uh, in UCF, like I don't want to see too many players experimenting with that rule um, out of UCF. Like it would, it would break my heart to see some, some players move around. And I've heard some of my colleagues, like, you know, some of the friends that I've been talking to about this, you know, seem to be kind of worried about like, are we going to become like a farm team for like this, this, you know, kind of the elite programs of the, of the, um, of the conference, but, but what I, or not the conference, excuse me, but of the, of the nation, I should say. And, and I look at it a little bit more positively, right? So what if we, what if those five-star recruits, you know, similar to CJ Walker or some others, you know, uh, go to Kentucky and they think they're going to be, 
you know, the, the best of the best and um, they're going to get all this playing time. They're going to be a one and done. And it just doesn't quite work out that way. Like we can take advantage of that in the, in our, in a positive direction. So I think any American conference team and those coaches, that coaching staff is hopefully looking at it from that perspective is how can we take advantage of these players who are highly touted and very talented coming out of high school that went to these top programs, uh, these blue blood programs, if you will, and didn't quite get the opportunity that they thought they were going to get. Um, if we can kind of establish those relationships early on, who knows what we could um, capture later on. So that's the positive aspect that I like to look at. Um, certainly I would love not to see any of our good players uh, move in the other direction. Yeah. Well, uh, just a quick thought on uh, uh, SMU Cincinnati. I mean, for a team that hadn't played in a month, I thought SMU accounted for themselves pretty darn well. Yes, they definitely did. And it's certainly in the beginning of the game, right? Like they, they started off like, all right, so, you know, there were this high scoring, high powered offense team, like we're going to, we're going to take it to Cincinnati and do well. You did see, though, towards the end of that first half and then certainly in the second half, unfortunately, they just – the conditioning and the lack of game experience, you know, hadn't played in over a month, it just kind of caught up to them. And it, you kind of felt bad. I, I, as a fan of UCF, I, like, I don't really feel bad for many of these teams, but, like, watching it, I was like, dang, like, they started out the game so well and, and, um, and they just seemed to ran, run out of gas, uh, especially towards the end of that first half. They kind of collected themselves in the second half and made a game of it, as you said. Um, you know, it being a three-point game at the end, they, they fought hard in the second half. But you just – you could tell the conditioning level wasn't there this year. And, and that's just the third opponent that COVID has introduced this season that – um, that they were up against. It would have been really interesting if they could have made a run, though, because it not only would have been a fascinating story, um, but who knows? They were they were on that bubble before the tournament started, and so it, it didn't work out for them. Um, obviously, Cincinnati kind of made that run instead, but it was uh, it was an interesting story with them not playing for over a month, their coach not being able to coach them for over two and a half months. Um, it was it was it was quite the story down the stretch, but uh, unfortunately SMU wasn't able to pull it out for them. Yeah, so let's talk a little bit about uh, Wichita State. They're going to the big dance, and you know they uh, uh, lost in that uh, semifinal to Cincinnati. That was a, another you know a tight, uh, certainly entertaining basketball game, and um, the fact that they got into the tournament when a lot of people had them as uh, as first four out. Uh, I think is really tremendous that they are getting some respect for winning the regular season. Yeah, I think it's a, it's luck. Luckily for us, um, I I think it's a reflection of the respect that the American conference is continually gaining. They're kind of making these baby step strides Um, as, as I'd like to, I like to remind a lot of people, um, you know, this conference was really built on being a very strong basketball conference and um, and so being able to, you know, even though they got they, they got knocked out in the semifinals of the of the AAC tournament, kind of being rewarded for being the regular season champion of the AAC. I'm glad that they got in. Now they're matching up with uh, Drake in the first four of the um, in, in that game, I think will take place on Thursday night. Right. Uh, Friday night. 
Friday night, okay. Well, no, no, I'm sorry, Thursday night. Uh, yeah, 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 Thursday I'm night. Yeah, the, I'm all mixed up with the change of the schedule. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, so that game is going to take place on Thursday night. Wichita State versus Drake. Drake's one of those teams I haven't watched them at all. You know, at all this year, so I don't want to say that I know much about Drake. Um, however, I, you know, I do know that the winner of that matchup is going to face uh, face against USC, who has like a top three NBA you know, draft player in Evan Mobley. I, I, I don't see as much as I would love to see an AAC team like kind of move forward in the tournament and, and move, um, move throughout the, and kind of upset some people. I don't see them really, if they are able to win the first four game against Drake, um, I can see that happening, but uh, I don't really see them getting past the like quote unquote first round of the tournament um, against USC uh, I don't – while I'm glad that they were rewarded for their their excellent season, and I think they deserve to be uh, in the tournament and have that chance, um, I don't really see them built as the team that can really go far. Now, Houston is definitely a different story, I think. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's definitely for sure. Yeah, if, if Wichita – it would be interesting, though, if Wichita State could somehow win two games – have a chance to play Kansas. Wouldn't that be sweet? <laughs> it would be. Yeah. And our, our colleague, our, um, our colleague, Andrew, you know, he'd be interested to see that game as well um, being a Kansas alumni, but yeah, that would be an interesting matchup as well. Um, again, it's just, <laughs> it's, it's going to be a tough road. I, I mean, it, you know, even if they were able to pull off three, you know, big wins, um, then they're matched up with Iowa, right? With yeah. Garza and all those guys. I mean, they, they've got a gauntlet as most teams that are 10 and below uh, have to, you know, have to go through. Uh, they certainly um, – you know, have a have a huge gauntlet to go through in the NCAA tournament. Yeah, well, Houston's a two seed in the Midwest region, and uh, their first games against Cleveland State, uh, unless the bus fails to get there, uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, they're they're moving on. How far do you think Houston can go? They are in a uh, in a you know Illinois is the one seed, and they're playing awesome basketball right now. Uh, what's your thoughts on the Cougs? Yeah, I have them. So I spent. You know, as 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 we do during this time of year, right? I, I spend a lot of time, you know, sorting through my bracket and trying to figure this out. Um, I have, but and and I I guess I let my own like biases creep in and and let my own experience in watching Houston a decent amount this year. Um, more so than Illinois, even though I have watched a few Illinois games in this year, this year, and they're extremely, they're a tough team. Um, I actually have them in that one, two matchup with Illinois. So going, getting to that game. And then um, I went back and forth for a while between those two teams and, and I have Houston prevailing. So I do have them making the final four matchup um, in, in my bracket against Baylor. I just think that, they've got they've just got this mix of basketball that is just built for the tournament they've got experience they've got athleticism they play defense really well they crash the offensive glass um they can beat you in multiple ways but they're all they're all like you know i think cal they're they're well coached with calvin sampson i i think they have a opportunity here and now whether or not i change that illinois houston you know I, I change that uh, option in the next couple of days. Who knows? But 
I do. As of right now, I have Houston making the Final Four and and winning that matchup against Illinois um, in that in that bracket. Yeah, well, since I'm playing in your bracket pool, I did write that down. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know. So, so yeah, we could talk about it afterwards, Jeff. But uh, if you if you go a different direction, it may work out pretty well for you. But actually, you know, I think. Illinois has a very you like as as good as they are they kind of have a really they don't have an easy road either to even get no. to that game I mean they got to go in, in in at least in what I've chosen you know they got to go against Georgia Tech who is a team that won the ACC championship game when I went up against a team in Florida State that is you know all Big and you know they, they're um, they're very efficient offensively and uh, they can play great defense and they they went up against them and with their like very kind of wild defense that they have like they switched like crazy um, uh, b- between zone and and man to man and and they're they're all over the place um, you know they were able to pull that one out and then they get through that they're go- they're going up against either Oklahoma State Tennessee who knows what that matchup has and you know if it is Oklahoma State that's a top 10 player and uh Kate Cunningham that they're going up against it's just Illinois doesn't have an easy stretch going getting to that Houston game if that game were to happen so who knows yeah because yeah even in the second round I mean if, it, if it's not Georgia Tech they would play Loyola Chicago who's having a hell of a season so yeah absolutely yeah you never know uh you never know what could happen there so yeah so it is, it is definitely interesting there so uh so the a- the AAC got two in. I mean, I thought that you know I, uh, you know, it was such fearful that we were only going to get the automatic bid, so we were able to get that extra bid. So that's a that's definitely good news. Would have been nice to get three, but um, yeah, you know, it's a it's a tough year for that, obviously. And then in the women's tournament, you know, we got the UCF South Florida rematch that South Florida prevailed in. So uh, the the Titans went at it uh, once again, and both got into the NCAA. Uh, South Florida is an eight and UCF is a 10 seed, which is uh, a little insulting <laughs> yeah. if you're looking, if you're looking at it for that aspect, but, uh, but good news for the, for the American uh, getting their two best teams in the, into the field. Yeah, it definitely was. Um, I, I think for sure, as much as I, you know, there are rivals and we like to rag on them as UCF fans. Um, I thought USF seeding was, pretty insulting I, I and and i think that's the national perception of our conference it's it's probably the reason why we're all like super you know glad that ucf got in as an at-large right and and it was down to the wire where they were pretty much the second to last team in the tournament as an at-large team they were probably the 63rd team i guess if you say it that way um uh, you know, as the 10 seed, because I believe there was one other at large that was an 11 seed and that was it uh, from them. But um, I think it kind of now that UConn is out of our conference, um, I think that from a national perspective and to be honest, women's basketball, like as far as I've seen, like there's a real lack of parity in women's basketball, not much like the men's game where you see a lot of a huge swath of teams that are that have a kind of a chance where in women's basketball, it's been much more concentrated at the top um, than than on the men's side, as far as my observation. And I think that once UConn leaves our conference, uh, the American just got a huge lack of respect from a national level. Uh, I mean, really, 
it was the difference, and we talked about this last week, but I think the difference between UCF and USF this year is that USF had a few key conference, out-of-conference wins to start the season, and UCF, while they played uh, they they won an SEC game. They won an ACC game. It was the bottom tiers of both of those leagues that they won, um, and and they and a team that wound up being ranked later in the year uh, was the kind of only loss for UCF out of conference. And so that difference was razor thin between those two teams all year and USF kind of reaped the benefits because they won a couple of big games out of conference. And UCF was, in my opinion, kind of punished um, uh, because I think there was a lack of respect within the conference um, this year now that UConn's out of it. But at the end of the day, luckily, because UCF was not only able to win against USF, a top 15 team at the end of the regular season, and then be able to make it to that conference championship game in the tournament, uh, luckily, they were able to get just enough respect to uh, to get into the tournament because I think it would have been a travesty at, you know, I, I think we ha- um, had about four losses this year, I believe. Um, it would have been a travesty for Coach Abe and um, Diamond Battles and, and, and those, those great uh, ladies on that team uh, that they weren't able to get that entrance into the big dance. And I really hope, really hope, as somebody, as a basketball, UCF basketball alumni who was in the building when uh, UCF beat VCU uh, a few years ago uh, for our first tournament win ever, I really hope that this is the season that the ladies can get that done and do something that no UCF basketball team has ever done, win a game in the NCAA tournament. I think that would be a really exciting stamp on this uh on this, an exclamation point on this very wild season that we've had. Um, but would, wouldn't that be great? It would be a great story uh, for all UCF fans out there. Yeah, well, I tell you, you know, as uh, South Florida and UCF can be bad about being underseeded, or it's an opportunity. Oh, absolutely. Being underseeded uh, could certainly be a, you know, a, a good pathway maker for them, if not anything else. So uh, yeah, that'll yeah. All, be, all be interesting to see. Well, Ben, as always, this has been uh, been great uh, talking basketball and talking hoops with you. I always enjoy the conversation and uh, look forward to uh, hopefully winning some money in your basketball pool. Uh, I'm <laughs> we'll due. see. I'm going to give it my best effort as well, my friend. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No. And I'm due. I haven't won a pool in many years, so I'm due. <laughs> so, anyway, Ben, at Big Social 32 on Twitter. You can follow him on there uh, for a commentary, I'm sure, throughout March Madness. And, uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to the weekend and getting this baby underway. Oh, me too, Jeff. And uh, thanks as always for having me on. It's, uh, this is the greatest time of year for sports. And in, in, in my opinion, and I know you share that one as well. And um, great talking with you about it. And we'll, we'll certainly be uh, talking throughout the tournament uh, just to see how things go. But uh, March is here, man. It's, it's exciting times. Absolutely. Thanks, Ben. All right. Thank you. And when we come back on the AAC reports, I'm going to bring you a conversation I had with Mike O'Donnell on my Jeff Allen Sports Talk podcast. Mike, of course, the analyst with ESPN and CBS Sports. And we'll get his thoughts on the conference from this past year and the tournament as well, right after this. 
If you haven't figured it out yet, I love Tijuana Flats. I would love them even if they weren't a partner with us on the Nightline Sports Network. They have all kinds of great Tex-Mex food, and it's fresh, by the way. Made to order burritos, tacos, enchiladas, chimichangas, quesadillas, bowls, nachos, and taco salads. And if you haven't tried the queso, you are completely missing out. It is the best queso that I've ever had in my life. Absolutely hands down. And the sauce bar that they have, everything from wild to mild in there, absolutely awesome, awesome stuff. Not only do I love the food at Tijuana Flats, but I love the company, a UCF-born company. And they give back to the community with the Justin Queso Foundation. So head to your local Tijuana Flats, Tex-Mex for everyone. Hello, Night Nation. This is Andrew Fagley reminding you to tune in every Tuesday night, 9 to 10 p.m. on WDBO 107.3 FM and AM 580, plus the WDBO app for Nightline at Night, brought to you by Chad Bar Law. We'll be taking your calls and your texts, reacting to the previous week's UCF sports action, and you never know who will show up. Once again, that's Nightline at Night, every Tuesday, 9 to 10 p.m. on WDBO 107.3 FM and AM 580, plus the WDBO app. Go Knights and charge on. Welcome. This is a promo for the Take a Left at Albuquerque podcast, new to the Nightline Sports Network. You should listen to it. I say things like this. We need to stop blaming Jerry because we would do the exact same thing if we owned the Dallas freaking Cowboys. Do you know how much fun it is to own the Dallas Cowboys? My guests will say things sometimes like uh, this. It's, it's the Lord of the Flies thing that happens when they don't understand that things are wrong, spoiler alert, until Piggy dies. Yeah, um, the Lord I, of the Flies has been out for like like a hundred years. It, like, I don't even know. Yeah, 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 yeah. Sorry, sorry to everyone at home yeah. who I spoiled the book for. Our book's been out for like 90 years or something. And sometimes, rarely though, I'll say really stupid things like this. If they don't make it out of the West and the Raptors get to the finals, I will go on either this show or whoever show and say that Kawhi Leonard is overrated because I, think- I have too much evidence of it. New episodes drop every Friday with me and some of my good friends right here on the Nightline Sports Network. All right, as I mentioned earlier this week, Mike O'Donnell, analyst from CBS and ESPN, was a guest on my Jeff Allen Sports Talk podcast. You can find that podcast by the way, wherever you get your podcast. Anyway, I had a chance to talk to Mike about the AAC tournament and the season in general. And here is part of that conversation now. It ends up being a two-bid league. Houston, of course, has been the class of the AAC now for the last several years. Wichita State gets in, and what's what's nice about Wichita State getting in is it looks like their regular season uh, championship meant something. It absolutely did, um, uh, because their net was not as good as Memphis's or their RPI or their Ken Palm rating. 
so winning the conference championship really mattered. I think their quad one wins, their quad one uh, win record also mattered as well, as Memphis really didn't have that marquee win or wins inside of quad one. And, and, and Wichita State, they're, they're playing Drake, who went on a tear in the regular season, looked like they were going to go undefeated, and, and Drake barely got in as an at-large bid at-large team. Um, but I think Wichita State wins that game. I think Tyson Etienne is the type of player who uh, we are all going to enjoy, and the average fan is going to enjoy watching him in some late term because he absolutely is a guy who can give you 25-30. Um, he's a three-level scoring guard in that he can – uh, he's a very proficient three-point shooter, especially coming off the picket roll. He has a mid-range and floater game, and he's got this big, strong body as a sophomore. He's one of the best finishing guards in the American. And I've got them beating Drake. Uh, they would face USC. Um, uh, that That's going to be a difficult matchup because you give the edge perimeter-wise to Wichita State. I think Wichita State's guards, Altery Gilbert, Tyson Etienne, are better than USC's guards, but then uh, Wichita State's front court is going to have a lot of trouble guarding Evan Mobley, who, if he's not the first pick in the draft, which that will probably go to Oklahoma State's Kate Cunningham, it'll most likely go to Evan Mobley. It'll be the second pick of the draft. He is a seven-footer who is tailor-made for the NBA, a future all-star in the NBA, and (laughs) it's going to be difficult to slow him down, but I'm... I am picking the Shockers to advance to the second round in a matchup with Kansas, which would be a lot of fun. Oh, yeah, that would be a sweet uh, matchup for sure. And Houston, of course, is, like I said, they they're, they finally got their conference tournament championship uh, to, to add to their trophy case. And they've been often talked about as being a potential Final Four team. How far do you see them going? I am so sad for Houston because they got stuck in the Midwest region with Illinois who I think is the second-best team in the country. They, What they did in the Big Ten tournament is remarkable. They are, um, to me, it's Gonzaga, Illinois, and then everybody else. And if Houston was in uh, the south bracket with Baylor or if Houston was in the east bracket with Michigan, not to take anything away from Baylor or Michigan, Baylor was the second-best team in the country for a long time. I think they're I think we're starting to see some flaws in the Baylor Bears, but I see no flaws in Illinois right now. And Houston got stuck as a, I know, I guess it's the only time you're unhappy about getting a two seed is when you're stuck with maybe the hottest team in the country in Illinois. Um, but I have them going to the lead eight. They have um, uh, the third best adjusted defensive defensive efficiency for Ken Palm. Uh, they are one of the best rebounding teams in the country. They are one of the best offensive rebounding teams in the country. They have the best man-to-man defense in the country. And I would say, I don't know if there's a team that plays harder in the country than Houston. They aren't as uh, mediocre offensively as people, as people think they are. They just don't play as rhythmic as other uh, teams do. Um, they are the best three-point shooting team in the American Conference. And they don't turn the ball over. Uh, they are also a very, very unselfish and, and, and very high, highly gifted passing team. And uh, just because they don't score in the 80s and 90s doesn't mean they're not efficient on the offensive end. They score in the mid-70s. So, I, I mean, uh, Houston, would uh, they're, they're going to beat their first-round matchup, Cleveland State. 
and they would face either Clemson or Rutgers. I think it's going to be Rutgers. They would advance for, in that matchup. And then I, I think in the Sweet 16, you could see potentially maybe the most physical game of the entire tournament of a matchup of Houston versus West Virginia, um, who is mm. just, you know, anytime you face West Virginia, it's a combination of running into a big brick wall and trying to ward off a thousand stinging bees. <laughs> it's exhausting to compete against that press. And uh, but I, I still like Houston advance. I think Houston gets the elite eight. I just you know I'll be rooting for Houston because I'm a big fan of their program. But I don't know if they're going to be able to get past Illinois in the elite eight. And Houston had to uh, pull out two victories over Memphis in the last week. Uh, you they have been playing incredibly well. Yes, and uh, you know I in fact I can, I think I could watch Houston and Memphis play every week. Uh, the way they, they match up against each other. Uh, Memphis coming up short of, you know, they had to win the conference tournament, I guess, to, in order to get in. Uh, but uh, talk about the job Penny Hardaway's doing there. You know, a lot of people were questioning Coach Hardaway um, uh, earlier in the season, uh, you know, and, and, and I didn't question him. I think, I think Penny has done a phenomenal job. I do think that in the first 10 games of the season, they did underperform. I don't think they knew who they were. I think they were trying to play a brand of basketball that was a little bit more NBA style. And about halfway through the season, uh, something changed. And they all of a sudden started really owning their defense, particularly in the press. And, I mean, Jeff, you mentioned, I mean, you saw Memphis in that press. It is, it is incredible, incredible. And this is going to sound very, maybe a little cliche, very, very obvious, but – the Memphis coaching staff is sick right now because they missed 10 free throws at Houston mm-hmm. and they missed 12 free throws um, in, in, in their previous matchup. Uh, they are, they shot 53% from the free throw line on the season. And I was actually talking with uh, one of the Memphis assistant coaches last night and in their losses, they missed a combined 66 free throws. They were 80. They, uh, they were 84 of 150 from the free throw line, and their average margin of loss was four points. Oh man! So if they would have shot just 10 percent better, so they shot 56 percent from the free throw line. If they would have shot 66 percent from the free throw line, that's it. 10 percent better. They would have only and analytically had three losses on the season, which probably would have put them in the top 15 in the country. And you want to talk about going back and looking about all the, you know, the frustrating things. And you think about the, the boring little stuff, you know, when you, when you realize how, uh, when you realize there are no little things and there is no boring stuff, uh, all the boring and little stuff matters a hell, a hell of a lot. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, Memphis Memphis's net was was better than SMU's, was better than Wichita State's. They just lacked marquee wins, and they did not perform in the non-conference well at all. And it took them about half a season to figure out who they were, and then they did. And all of a sudden, we saw that every every, every media coach in the country was watching that game, Memphis and Houston, and saying, are you kidding me? This Memphis team looks like a Sweet 16 team. They just didn't have the resume to back it up. Yeah, I tell you what, and that's uh, some great math nuggets you gave us there too. Um, and one thing I took from the conference tournament 
is I look at the American, and I think you can safely say the top half of the conference is very good. I would include UCF in that uh, in that as well. Um, what is your overall uh, grade for the American uh, for this past season? Well, before I kind of do an overall grade, uh, Jeff, one thing I will mention is uh, the bottom three teams for the American had a better net than the bottom three teams of the Pac-12 and the bottom three teams of the Big 12. Mm. So I know you're talking about the top half performed really well, but I would argue that um, the top half has not been as good from a non-conference win perspective this season as it has been in season past. But the bottom half of the American has been far superior than the previous years. Um, and there were times in which the American Conference kind of cannibalized itself, similar to what the Atlantic 10 actually did to themselves this season, because I think a lot of people felt the Atlantic 10 could have had three or four teams in the tournament if it had not cannibalized itself. Um, the American, you know, I would give the American a B plus. Uh, it, it was, it, you could make an argument the American tournament was one of the best tournaments that we saw totally. in the conference tournament because of how, how high level of basketball we witnessed. It was awesome. It was great. Uh, what the American needs to do is this is, is Houston. The Houston train is rolling and that ain't stopping. Right? They may not be, you know, top five in the country next season, but they're, you know, they're going to be at worst top 25 the entire season. Wichita State, if Tyson Etienne comes back, Wichita State ain't going anywhere. Isaac Brown is a great coach. He just got the head, he just got the full time job, and, and and I think everybody was ecstatic when that happened. That was the right move to make at Wichita State. They're not going anywhere. Uh, Memphis that shouldn't have, they might have one player that turns pro, Musa Cisse. He's going to probably turn pro, and that's it. And they're going to bring in some good recruits, and this, this, this entire Memphis team is going to be back. And guess what? They're not going to make the same mistake again. They're going to press for 40 minutes again. It's going to be exhausting. It's going to be brutal, brutal to play against the Tigers. SMU returns a bulk of their lineup as well. Kendrick Davis might be in running for preseason player of the year next season, along with Tyson Etienne. So, uh, and SMU's, SMU had a top 60 net the entire season. They just didn't have enough marquee wins. And so when you're, when you're looking at, when you're looking at the American conference, you know, I would give it a B plus what the American conference needs to do is they, it can't just be Houston in the top 10 and then 14, four fringe top 25 teams. And the way that changes is that in SMU, Wichita state, Memphis, those three teams right now need to have marquee wins in the non-conference and no bad losses leading into the conference tournament. Until the American has three to four teams consistently in the top 25, which I think they can, you know, that's when the, that's when the conversation changes. Because to me, the American conference from top to bottom is better than the Pac-12. I, I, I will happily go net to net with anybody <laughs> and non-conference wins uh, and, and analytically, and I think it's a better conference in the Pac-12. I do, mm-hmm. especially if you take the last three years. Yeah, and now yeah. the fresh the, the thing that other the other thing that needs to happen is is it is, is a program like UCF. UCF cannot beat Florida State, Auburn, and Cincinnati out of the gate, and then lose seven eight games in a row. 
Right. It just it, it, it cannot happen. That, that that it can't be. You can't have. You know, I guess the best way to describe you can't have fluke non-conference wins. Those can't exist anymore for the American Conference. It has to be the American Conference is the conference of grit and defense. When you look at the American Conference, you took the top 30 um, adjusted defensive efficiency teams in, in the country. There's going to be at least four or five American Conference teams in there. Always, every single season, it is not a uh, it is not a brand of basketball that is always going to be uh, appeasing to the eye. But it is they are some of the best defenses you and most physical defenses you will face in the country, regardless of conference. Yeah, and you, of course, you know, Cincinnati's in that conversation. Um, and kind of want to go back to Wichita State for just a quick second, as you mentioned Isaac Brown getting the the, the head coaching job full time. The Greg Marshall situation really could have been a, a huge blow to them uh, coming into this season. Uh, can you relate to you know what Isaac Brown did to 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 weather that storm? You know, I don't know if anybody's going to be able to answer that question until a couple of years. But if I had to make a guess, you know, my best guess would be this is one of the few times to where. <laughs> playing college basketball in a global pandemic could be to your advantage. And what I mean by that is, I mean, you want to talk about having no distractions, right? You have to isolate in your room. You're not allowed to leave your dorm room until you go to practice. You're not going to class. Everything's online. You are in your dorm. You're at practice. You're in your dorm. You're at practice. And that eliminates a lot of distractions, a lot of distractions. So this was a time to where if you're talking about bringing in an interim coach with, uh, you know, a very difficult situation just mentally and emotionally for the players, and you're able to totally focus on only one thing, and that only thing isn't even about winning games, Jeff. That only thing is about finding practice time. Because there, there were times where programs just couldn't even practice because guys would test negative or there was contact tracing issues and it would take out seven or eight guys and you'd have to shut down for two weeks. You didn't even, I mean, most teams didn't even focus on winning games. Most teams focused on just getting on the practice court. And Wichita State was one of those teams that they could just get on the practice court every day and focus on that. They were going to be able to find their identity, and they did. And they, they found their identity. They found their identity through offense and pushing pace and tempo, and they did that as well, if not better, than any team in the American Conference with Tyson Etienne and Alterique Gilbert. And I, I think, and, 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 and this is, by the way, it's not, I'm not pulling credit away from Isaac Brown, not to say that he could have done this if it was under normal circumstances. I just think it really helped him in that if you're totally laser focused on the basics because that's all you can be you don't have a, you don't have screaming fans you're not you're not you're not walking into into a restaurant and having people come up to you and asking you about the Greg Marshall situation you're not walking into class and having students ask you about the Greg Marshall situation you know, basketball, college basketball at Wichita State's a religion. Mm -hmm. 
so you didn't have any of these 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 massive distractions you were able to put on the horse blinders and go to work i just think that really helped isaac brown and that was my conversation with mike o'donnell on the jeff allen sports talk podcast you can catch that full conversation on my show wherever you get your podcasts all right, let's get to uh, Players of the Week across many sports, starting with baseball. Player of the Week, uh, Connor Norby, uh, second baseman of East Carolina, led the Pirates to four wins last week, including a sweep of Charlotte, batting 4-12 with three runs scored on three home runs, seven RBIs. Pitcher of the Week, Carson Wisenhut of East Carolina. He uh, earned the win in a 3-1 win over Charlotte with uh, seven innings pitch and only allowing three hits and two walks, 10 strikeouts. Softball Player of the Week, is Madison Perrigan of Wichita State batted 502 home runs, five RBIs, a 1,400 slugging percentage, and four runs in a 3-1 week for the Shockers. Pitcher of the Week, Gianna Mancha of UCF, virtually unhittable for the second straight week, throwing 20 scoreless innings for the Knights, logging a 3-0 record, holding opposing batters to a 106 batting average against. Women's soccer, the offensive player of the week is Paula Levlick of South Florida. Two goals, including the game winner in the Bulls, 3-0 win over Tulsa. Defensive player of the week, Cheyenne Dennis of South Florida, uh, helping to hold the Golden Hurricane to only two shots on goal. The, golden keep, the goalkeeper of the week, Maeve English of East Carolina, made seven saves in their 1-1 draw with UCF. And the rookie of the week, Lexi Endress of Temple, scored the equalizing penalty in a comfort-behind 2-1 victory over the Owls at Cincinnati. Men's soccer, the offensive player of the week, had a bio Berry of UCF, his first goal of the season in the 11th minute, and held up his game-winning tally in a 2-0 win over number uh, 9 FSMU. And uh, the defensive player of the week, Pierre Cayette of Temple, second straight time after uh, Temple posted a clean sheet and a scoreless draw with Tulsa. The goalkeeper of the week, Yannick Odell of UCF, totaled eight saves in that SMU victory. And the Rookie of the Week is Oscar Rosano of South Florida. That's another Rookie of the Week honor for him. Second career goal in their 3-1 win over Memphis. Volleyball. The Player of the Week is Hannah Jacobs of SMU. Uh, as they had a 2-0 week over the Golden Hurricane in straight sets. 5.7 points per set to rank second and hit 339 to rank 8th in the American for the week. Defensive Player of the Week, Narissa Moravec of UCF. Top shot block in the American. Average 2.17 blocks per set and just six frames played against Cincinnati to help uh, 2-0 since UCF uh, clinch the top seed in the East Division. Turning to golf, the Men's Golf Player of the Week, Mac Meisner of SMU. He was the top finisher at the Valspar Collegiate in a field that featured nine top 40 teams and 18 top 100 rank of vigils. He uh, tied for fourth place at six under 207 with rounds of 67, 69, and 71. The Women's Player of the Week, and Norman of Houston, her first weekly conference honor with a Clover Cup showing, uh, claimed a share of seventh place, and uh, she had rounds of 70, 73, and 69 on the par 72 course there. Tennis, the AAC Tennis Player of the Week, Jacob Wojcik of South Florida. Uh, he was uh, won five singles matches at the number two position and went three and two in doubles play. And a 4-1 week for, for the Bulls. Women's Tennis Player of the Week is uh, Jackie Nylander of SMU. Went 3-0 at number one singles and 2-1 at number one doubles in a 3-0 week for the Mustangs. 
Lacrosse, the attack player of the week, Megan Hoffman of Temple. The midfielder of the week, Alyssa Adams of Cincinnati. Defensive player of the week, Shannon Hecht of Temple. And the freshman of the week, Lauren Carey of Old Dominion. The Tulsa men's cross-country team enjoyed a top-10 finish for the second straight season, placing sixth in the 2021 NCAA Division I Men's Cross-Country Championship at the Oklahoma State Cross-Country Course. They secured sixth place, result 237 points, and a total of four men's student-athletes representing the AAC earned All-America honors to establish a conference single-season record there. Cincinnati's Aaron Benefield got All-American status in cross-country for the first time in his career. 16th place showing uh, in there, so that was a good uh, uh, good mark for him. Bearcat teammate Allison Dusky uh, took 69th place and at the women's 6K, Tulsa's made its third team appearance as a member of the American, placed 20th overall with 650 points. And uh, three-time Americans women's cross-country champion Winnie Cascay made her third straight individual start and finished with 125th place time. And student-athletes representing the American Athletic Conference uh, had strong performances at the NCAA Division I Indoor Track and Field Championships that were held at the Randall Tyson Track Center from March 11th through the 13th. Aaron Benefield, he uh, established a program record in the men's 5K time to claim fifth place and first-team All-American honors. And Wichita State's Justin Holfeson. Uh, had a time of 8.31 in the men's 60-meter hurdles earned second-team All-American plaudits. Sean Maswangani of Houston uh, on the second team with a 60-meter finals dash of 6.67. Women's competition, Ellie Leather of Cincinnati in her finals heat in the mile, time of 4.41.83. In uh, Memphis, Deanna McMiller uh, opened the meet on Marshall of the women's weight throw and uh, it scratched over for their for over three throws. Don't say those words three times fast. It's not doable. <laughs> All right, folks, that's going to do it for this week's show. Action-packed and full of information for you. As always, please follow me on Twitter at JeffAllen underscore 88. And you can follow the Nightline Sports Network at UCF underscore Nightline. This has been the AAC Report only on the Nightline Sports Network. I'm Jeff Allen. Thanks for listening. <laughs>